2: trying to get ready for this show today has been wow paul winkler investor coaching show. yeah it has been what, what's the show we're doing Do not disheveling know your
0: show? disheveled <laughs> what's I'm, going I'm, on i'm gonna say it's sunspots paul sunspots yeah i'm going with sunspots anytime there's just some unexplained plethora of technical problems i just go to sunspots that's my default at least we could get some northern lights out of this thing. <laughs> I mean, you know. Maybe it's the eclipse coming up. We're getting ready for the eclipse. <laughs> I'm thinking anything but what we have been through. You, you can blame it on me, Angry I sh- Dan. I showed up. No, it's the plates in his head throws off all the electronics. It's Angry Dan, <laughs> Danny, Polly.
2: Good to see you, brother. Always good to see you, Always brother. Always good. He just we don't get this privilege
1: very often. I'm sorry about that. I wish I could make it more often. I'll try my best.
0: Yeah,
2: do that because I want to hear what Angry Dan <laughs> is up to today. What has happened over in your office that has gotten you worked up so far Well, this yeah. year? It's early in the year, but I know you get worked up over when you see client portfolios and things that people bring in. So the point being, these are things that are happening in a lot of people's portfolios. They don't even know it. Exactly. And you should be angry about it, but you probably don't know to be angry about it. So what we have is a guy that gets angry on, <laughs> on their behalf. behalf. yes. So <laughs> tell us. He's what's the going- enforcer
1: for our office. Yeah, you have hit the nail on the head, as they say. <laughs> so you realize after working with me and, and you for 15 years, in general, I just get angry on the overall ignorance of the ac- academics and uh, that everybody outside of us pretty much just doesn't even pay attention. And there
2: are some academics that are perfectly fine and great, but there are a lot of them that are bought and paid for by the insurance industry and so yeah. on and so forth. That yeah. yeah. not yeah. so necessarily I, I, put out things that are fine.
1: I, yeah, I wrote an article on academics versus advertising based just what you were talking about. So, mm. uh, but we had one. James and I worked closely together with Evan in the Cool Springs office, and had a guy a came, James
2: out in Dixon office. Correct. By the way. Yeah. Correct, mm-hmm. good,
1: always say Dixon. Dixon. Dixon.
2: I know. I know. I thought, <laughs> I'm. I'm, good, but, uh, boy. I'm so good. boy.
1: we had a, a person come in, and they w- were uh, through the conversation. You know how our conversations go we talk about the academics and dr markowitz nobel prize winning yeah um, gene fama yeah. Uh, dr fama's on yeah, yeah. Um, diversification Ken works French. asset allocation yeah. and he goes yeah i'm using the markowitz stuff you so
2: a client says this
1: yeah okay yes All right. oh really but like most clients as you just stated if we were Japanese. We'd have, if we lived in Japan, we'd have all Japan. If we lived in Germany, we'd have Germany. And so he lives here. So what do you think he has?
2: So a person believes that they're actually using the academic research in the yeah. investment portfolio. And it's, it's not unlike, uh, well, gosh, you know, it's not like what we used to, uh, you know, I remember when the Brinson Hood and Beebauer stuff came out. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, ninety-four percent of your returns, or your portfolio, is is uh, driven by asset allocation. Ninety-one point five percent in another study, uh, and the the other six percent or eight and a half percent are are stock picking and market timing, and that's how we can enhance, quote unquote, is what we were taught to tell people. Yep. We weren't as brokers. We
0: weren't taught to use that research properly. Yeah. My, Correct. My phrase I was taught was. Asset allocation only gets you so far. And yes. then we have to pick the right funds to pick up that last 10%. Oh, that's that was really taught good when that study came out. That's that's really good for all the wrong
2: reasons. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, at least you guys were taught that, you know, when I came in on the dark side, it, you know, it was here's what we have in the box. This mm-hmm. is what you can sell people. And of course, mm-hmm. it was I mean, I don't remember when I first learned about small caps. You know, by maybe my fifth year, sixth year in the business when I went out on my own and said-
2: Well, you see small caps in the portfolios, but they are so, such a minute part of the portfolio, they may as well be there. Well- Is I, what I've, from what I, my experience in looking at people's portfolios. But anyway.
1: Well, I, I, you do not like us to mention certain people's names, but one of our founding fathers is who I work for. and oh, they, Go ahead,
2: mention names. I don't care. Oh, John Hancock. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know? Uh, and-
0: Not the the person,
2: mind you, but the company.
0: (laughs) No, I worked with John. We're (laughs) old, but not that (laughs) old. I was was with Joe Biden. I knew Abraham Lincoln, (laughs) and you're no Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Uh, But we actually have it in that same uh,
1: study you were talking about in our PowerPoint, you know, about uh, um, how small caps work. Mm -hmm. But John Hancock's one of those ones we list in a PowerPoint that doesn't have a small cap fund along with a couple other well-known companies. American Funds.
2: Yeah. They yeah. got one that's called small cap, but it's actually right. mid-cap. Yeah. 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 So they don't even have one.
1: So so, I guess that's why I was ignorant, because they didn't even think it was important, even though that study is how old on the, on the three-factor model?
0: Oh, three-factor
2: oh, 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 Markowitz. Oh so, oh, so, yeah, basically that was 82?
0: Yeah. I think Markowitz was 91 83? and 93. Yeah. Brinson Hood. Yeah, yeah and so like
1: I said, we learned Markowitz, but we hit, used a spin, but – I started in 98, and there was no talk of this three-factor model. It's sales, 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 you know, not – Yeah. No a- advertising. Yeah. We can use that, that brand name. It's a uh-huh. pretty, pretty powerful brand name, you know, but no academics
2: Well, and I think you bring up a really good point right there, Dan, because a lot of times when people have their money with big companies, and they just assume they wouldn't be that big unless they're doing stuff
0: right. Right. Well, they are doing something right. They're, 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 good at they're good at selling.
2: Yeah, yeah, but, you know, what happens so often is, like, you have a fund company with 1,300 mutual funds, and you go, well, why do they have that many mutual funds if they really knew what was going to happen? Right. You know, why do they have, why, you know, why is it that uh, you have you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 different mutual funds investing in one area of the market? Right. It's because one of those funds out of 12 is going to do better than the other ones. And you will market that one and say, hey, this is really, really great. Uh, but yeah, that is the frustration. And then you'll have the other thing that I see that frustrates me. I guess I'm the one that's angry <laughs> today.
0: <laughs> that's what we call
2: empathy, Paul. It is its empathy. Yes, I'm <laughs> empathizing with all of you. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. so what, what gets me is where they will have mutual funds that are investing, stock picking, and market timing, but they'll also have funds that are holding, buying, and hanging on to areas of the market, and they're not engaging in that. And then they'll have funds that have, you know, like like target day funds and things like that, where they'll have funds that are not stock, stock picking and market timing, but they are market timing between those funds. Yeah. Which is really fun when they do that. That's that's really exciting. But that's the, that's the frustration. But anyway, you had a client, so so the client thought that they were following academic principles, they right. thought they were following Nobel Prize winning, and then what, how, what did you see? Well, say?
1: once we did the x-ray, we showed them that they, in fact, were not, you know, properly asset allocated, diversified. But going back to that example you just talked mm-hmm. about where people have 10, 20 um, large cap growth funds, those same companies also have Passive funds, you know, mm-hmm. so pick a lane. If, does this work or, or does this right. work? And,
2: mm-hmm. and if you don't know what he's talking about, it, you know, stock picking market time, what you're doing, you're assuming that the stocks are mispriced and you're trying to buy stocks for less than what they're really worth. And then when they go up to what they're really worth, that's how you make money. That is a myth, you know, that that's how you make money. It's it's the assumption that you can find. Now, can you get lucky and have that happen? Yeah, but you don't ever attribute luck to, you know, <laughs> to skill and prudence uh so in in my humble opinion so so you look at that and you say okay so if i'm combining the belief that that doesn't work with the belief that it does work it's you know it's I, i'm having cognitive you <laughs> it's know, like going in, to two very my different meltdown. churches at right. the same yeah, time yeah that's what i use a lot of time it's used religion as a kind of dissonance um, yeah, yes yeah so um I've lost my thought. So, so you, but you're basically what you were saying is that you had a situation where they had all of these different funds, and some were active and some weren't active. But the other problem that you run into is that you're talking about an area of the market where there are a limited number of companies. So, all these different mutual funds own the same exact stocks, and you miss out on diversification, which nobody would argue is a tenant of investing.
1: Right. And so, what I was going to say was. Is what we use is what you taught me. Is there anybody who can consistently and predictably
2: mm-hmm.
1: pick winners? Mm-hmm. The statistics are overwhelming 70 plus percent of the time. They can't. No. Nobody can, right? No. Because nobody knows where you and I are going for dinner, right? Right, right. And we're not going to the same place. Most people know that. Right. You eat healthy, and I don't. <laughs>
2: well, well, it's yeah. you have tastes vary, <laughs> but trends vary. I mean, you look yeah. at, you know look back in you know a few years, and and you look at the styles that just people were wearing, completely different. And then you have all of a sudden, oh, I'm just my my the mind's going bell off. Bell bottoms I, are back in. Well, you know, but I, <laughs> <laughs> but my mind's going to you know with um, Apple and their their new you know yeah, the, their, the, the new the Vision, yeah. the new Vision, and and you go well you know. Who knows if somebody's going to come out with even a better version? There there was something. There was there are companies that are trying to work <laughs> on even better versions of that particular thing. But, you know, it's it's interesting.
0: Who's going to win? I have to share this. Uh, this was this morning uh, when I was going through some stuff. Uh, there's a, I'll say tech influencer. That's maybe not the right term, but his name's Brian Solis. And he does a lot of uh, blogging and, you know, all that Facebook posting and stuff in that space. Mm-hmm. And he had a photograph of two. uh, These were two men at the, you know, twenty five ish, thirty ish, sitting at a coffee table, and the caption was, "No cell phones," but they both had on that headset, and so they were sitting at the table, and yeah, the Apple Vision, but they weren't on their cell phones, but they just (laughs) yeah, right, they weren't, they still weren't talking to each other. You
2: got thirty five hundred extra dollars and seven grand of hardware sitting at that coffee table from humanity, and you know. Yeah, it's um, it's it's fascinating, you know, who who on on earth knows where that's going to all lead. But um, but I I think that I think I think that is interesting you know, yeah. what There that particular product that they've come out. If you, I don't, if you haven't seen the videos out there, folks, you know, check it out at Apple vision. You basically, it's like these people are gesticulating in front of them. They have, you know, they're, they're, they're swiping things. They're doing what you'd normally do on a pad, but they're doing it in the middle of the air and they can see each other through the glasses. But they, but you know, a lot of the talk is that people just don't like looking silly, having a bunch of, you know, having <laughs> goggles on and walking around, all, you know, just kind of weird. But I think that, you know, from a, a standpoint, I wonder if there's going to be some point a backlash, a psychological backlash, because kids are recognizing that they don't know how to connect with each other. And, you know, I was having my son sent me a video and it was talking about dopamine hits, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get more dopamine and how do you do it? And, and he was talking about how you do this is partly you get involved in a project. And Mm -hmm. let's say it's a mundane project, a work project or something like that. One of the things that you do is you stop that project, but you don't go to your phone and start swiping and reading emails and going to social media and all of that. Because what happens is you get a bigger dopamine hit from that, and then you won't go back to your productive work. So what you would better be better off doing is go take a walk. And that's and I was thinking about it, that's exactly what I do. That's exactly what I did. He said, stare at a stinking blank wall. It would be better <laughs> because you've got to come down from the dopamine hit and then go back to the work, which gives you the dopamine hit again, which is the feel yeah. good, you know, chemical in your in your yep. bloodstream. And that is the idea: is to do anything to get back. But you look at how people are not engaging with each other. And then the depression, the, the anxiety, and, you know, you have people having a, a real challenge in communicating with each other. I've been actually going through some really, really interesting stuff lately, listening to some case studies on how people have lost the ability to communicate and the negative impact it's having on them and the level of anxiety because they get into social situations and they're just, you know, they're, they're freezing up and they yeah. don't know how to handle it.
1: So if, that reminds me Paul way back when. So technology and like Evan thinks, has things go but you remember way back when when you had to pay 10 cent for a text over whatever your little limit was? Oh
2: uh, I, no, I do. I I I I, I think you 20, had so many years you could ago. Have, but it,
1: no, I don't remember. Well, it's cuz my son's 38 so it was when he was 13. Okay. 25 years ago. Okay. And my son was and he could text with blindfolds on, you know. He was cuz he was uh uh-huh. Muslim married, but he was doing like four thousand texts a month, oh my goodness. to his girlfriend, oh my goodness, who he's in school with, yeah, and I'm going like, why don't you just talk to her
0: <laughs> and save the four hundred dollars <laughs> and he goes I said he
1: says, sometimes Dad, we just don't want to talk to each other, but you send her four thousand text messages, so That was kind of caveman to where it's evolving now, like you said, to where we're going to all walk. Well, we're not because I'm not. Walk around with these things
2: on. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, So anyway, listening to the event, we got a lot of really good stuff we got (laughs) to cover. There's so much stuff to cover that I want to uh, jump into some things. Uh, I had a a situation that uh, I would love to hear your feedback on. A lady actually invested in something. We got a phone call. She invested in something, and very common investment. And the situation that came up was one that she probably well she she inherited this asset. Uh-huh. And what was fascinating is you can be in a situation where something you inherit actually ends up being a bit of a uh, uh, of of a burden. I mean, that's literally what it is. So wow. I'll talk about that in just a second because it has to do with distributions from retirement accounts later on on assets that you inherit. So. We'll get into that in just a second. You're listening to The Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, along with Evan Barnard, Dan Hill. We'll be back. Hey guys, if you want specific advice for your unique situation, schedule a free 15 minute phone chat with one of our trusted advisors by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. We don't sell any products and our advisors don't make any commissions. So this isn't a sales call. We have a coaching process that helps you understand investing and relax about money. Don't put blind trust in anyone with your financial assets. We want to partner with you in the process so you know what you're doing and why. We manage assets on a fee-only basis, which means that when you do well, we do well, which aligns our interests with yours from the start. We also bring you into the financial planning process that gives you a clear plan so you can find the freedom to pursue your purpose. All our advisors are degreed planners too, with years of experience. So schedule a free 15-minute phone call with an advisor by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. All right, back here on the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, Dan Hill, Evan Barnard, Talking Money and Investing. CFPs, both of them, certified financial planners, and way more than that, because they're study-holics like we are. We all are around here. Uh, so, it got a um, situation, guys. Lay it on me. Client inherits two real estate investment trusts. Uh-oh. We've talked about that for quite a while, uh-huh. you know, and, and we saw a and, lot of and them. currently unlisted, I'm guessing? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got it. Not publicly traded. Had to file... For the uh, beneficiary des- distribution to yes. set up a beneficiary IRA. huh. Uh, so what happened is that, you know, try to get the money out. And one company just flat out denied would not repurchase the shares because she has to take required minimum distributions. You know, so you got, you know, the 10 year rule, right? Right. you got to take your required minimum distributions. Yes. And you've got to be able to liquidate something to pay those taxes. Yes. Right? Because you've got an asset, and that asset, you have to figure out the value of it and pay taxes on the distribution. So you have the 10-year rule where you got to have it distributed over a, a 10-year period. Second company has sent a a special circumstances distribution. Well, isn't that special? The person that first bought it passed away. Right. And now the inheritor is not the person that bought it. So as a company, it would be the really good thing to do to buy it for full value, whatever it's listed on the statement as being worth. Don't
0: you think that would be a good thing to do? Or the unit price that it was purchased for.
2: Yeah. I mean, that would be... That would be the admirable thing to do. That would be, I think, you know, as far as ethical way of handling things, it seems to me. No, no. They said they're going to repurchase shares for 40 cents on the dollar. Wow. They're not going to repurchase it for the value of it. They'll purchase it for 40 cents on the dollar. So they'll give her the money from the distribution, 40 cents on the dollar, so that she can pay her taxes on the distribution because it's required minimum distribution. What do you wow. guys think of that one? And that was the issuing company? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The oh, issuer. Wow. Yeah. Uh. So where to the whys? I mean, you, know, you look at that and go, what, what are you going to do? Well, I can only surmise that you have to go, what do I think that this is worth to calculate the required distribution? Right? Right. You know so what do you think it's worth to calculate you know so you you come up with a value and say okay I'm in a 22% tax bracket so 22% of that value will be what I pay in taxes and then what you do is hope like heck that at some point in the future you can get the amount that you you know, so, so if you got if you got a let's say ten thousand dollars, let's just say, let's just mm-hmm. use that as an example, and you're a twenty two percent tax bracket, you pay twenty two hundred dollars in taxes, and then but you can't liquidate it because you can't get your money back. Yeah. On the first one, right? You can at all. You're hoping that you get somewhere near at least ten thousand, and hopefully not less than twenty two hundred what you paid in taxes. Right. Back at some point in the future, when you are able to liquidate it,
0: I mean, I don't know. I don't. I I wonder if they can I have not run into this situation. Yeah, that's, Uh, um, I mean, used to, you know, like those things typically sold at a $10 unit value, at least when I was doing it back in the day. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Wild West has gotten wilder since I was on the dark side. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the value didn't float because it's not a, you know, it's not a marketed, it's not a listed property. Now, the buildings would obviously go up and down in value, Mm -hmm. whatever's inside that trust. But- Basically it was a stable share price mm-hmm. and you had whatever promissory dividend, oh it's gonna pay six and a half, it's gonna pay eight, whatever that was. And that's was. how they sell it. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna pay that net. But until it listed, you didn't as the investor, you didn't typically see that thing fluctuate much in value until they listed it. Now, I mean some of the rules changed on the accounting and mm-hmm. mark to market, and we won't go down that road too much, but mm-hmm. um, but I wonder I literally wonder if if they can only liquidate at forty percent of value, can they recalculate their RMD based on forty percent of the value of the account, and so they only have to take out, you know, one tenth of forty percent of the. Value. That's a good question. I mean, that to me, it would be at least a little bit
2: of uh, a relief. Yeah. But on the first one, where you have absolutely no value and that they won't repurchase it at all. But I can't imagine that they're going to, the IRS (laughs) is going to say, oh, no value, you don't have to take out anything. Well, the... I don't know. How how do you figure out what the required distribution is if you can't get any kind of liquidation value on it whatsoever because nobody will repurchase it? Is it a total loss? I don't know. But, you know, as an investor, I'm sure that the person that bought the thing wanted to help somebody... Or themselves. Or (laughs) themselves at some point in the future, whoever inherits this thing or themselves if they need to live off this money, and just to watch how this all plays out. And this isn't an isolated situation. I think the point that I want to make is this is not isolated. We see this a lot. Yeah. And when we see these types of real estate things, they are sold as a good income producer— as something that's going to kick off six, seven, as, as Evan said, eight percent income every year, and you're gonna be able to live off that in retirement. It's gonna be great and it's wonderful. And I cannot tell you how many times that was not what happened.
1: So, so being that we haven't been on the dark side for a while, because I use those, goes back to advertising versus academics. Mm-hmm. Those were the flavor of the month or the year. Right. For the reasons you just stated. Right. Are they still?
2: Yeah. You still seeing those? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, all the time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah so we see sold it all just the time. like you
1: said, because we were salesmen and not planners back in that day, uh, until 2008, when they couldn't spit out those dividends, because like you said, the yeah. value of the underlying mm-hmm. asset in the trust was no longer worth $100 million, $200 million, or whatever it
2: was. Yeah. So then the dividends went away also. So you're I, stuck. I've routinely seen these things inside people's portfolios when they yeah. bring them in. And, and they don't even know they've got them. That's that's and, usually what it is. they and what they do is they see a value on their statement that they have an asset. So they're not upset
0: about the performance of their portfolio because they don't see it hasn't fluctuated on the statement. That's right, right. right. Well, and the other thing, and this could be an entire you know another conversation as well, but typically we see those REITs, real estate investment trusts in the portfolio as, kind of a substitute for the stable side of the portfolio, you know, kind of as a substitute for a bond or instead of an annuity yeah. god forbid. Yeah, yeah. But the issue is as is, as you're pointing out, you can't use a REIT to rebalance with. And so if we have another mm-hmm. covid quarter where equities are down 30%, you don't have anything on that safe side to rebalance with mm-hmm. while things are on sale, mm-hmm. you're just stuck. And that's a good point because a lot of times they're sold as something that's a diversifier. Yeah, And
2: that's the point of diversifying is when you have 10% of your money in one and 10% of your money in another asset category, and one does better than the other, you sell the one that did better and buy the one that didn't do as well, and that's rebalancing that helps offset the risk of the portfolio. And that's the idea. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one.